Hello and welcome back to Habit Helps, a podcast of Creekside Community Church in San Leandro, California, where each week we're talking about how habits build you and about how you can build better habits. I am Jeff Bruce, one of the pastors here, and today I am joined by no one. No one at all. My dad is on vacation, and so we're going to take a break from our series that we've been doing on the habits of a disciple maker. And uh, I want to try something a little different, a solo podcast, just to see if this is going to be helpful or if it's going to be insufferable. And listen, if it's the latter, that's fine. Uh, But listen, if this is helpful, we might just keep doing it. Could be a way for us to publish podcasts more consistently because it's challenging to to get everyone uh, scheduled, coordinated uh, every week. So today, I, I want to talk about some takeaways from the last year four habit takeaways from the last year. Uh, I don't know about you. One thing I like to do at the end of every year is take inventory of what happened. Just ask the basic question, what happened? What did I set out to do? What did I fail to do? And why? It's kind of like an after action review for the year so you can make adjustments for the next year. Now, obviously, We should evaluate how things are going in our life more than once a year. If you only evaluate your behavior once a year, you're going to get very far off course. So yes, daily reflection, weekly reflection, we're making course corrections all the time. But in addition to that, I like to reflect once a year because here's what's helpful about that. You see the overarching trends. You see, here's what I tried and what actually worked. Here's what I tried to implement that actually stuck and what didn't. And if you do that year by year, each time you do that reflection, you get a much clearer sense of how you're actually growing, how you're changing over the long haul. That can be hard to see. You can get lost in the trees. This this can help you see the forest. And, and maybe I'll talk about how I do my annual review in a future podcast. But, but it's helpful just to think back and say what went well, what didn't, because you get a much clearer sense of what worked, what was effective, what wasn't. So, With that being said, I've been doing that over the past few weeks, and here are four takeaways from the last year. Some of these uh, are adapted from James Clear's book, Atomic Habits, things I've tried to implement from that, and we've talked a lot about that on the show previously. And and here's the thing. Whenever I share about personal information like this, what's worked, some of it's going to be relevant for you. Some of it might not be relevant at all, might not make sense with your schedule, or or where you're at in your season of life, that's fine. Just chew out the meat, spit out the bones, but but hopefully something in here is helpful. So four takeaways from the past year. Number one, if you want to build a new habit, stack it on top of an old habit. If you want to build a new habit, stack it on top of an old habit. James Clear talks about it, this idea of habit stacking, but this one has become way more clear to me this past year, how effective this is. We all want to build habits. We all want to build more effective habits. We want routines that that get us uh, closer to the person we want to become. And the easiest way to start a new habit is to tie it in some way to an old habit. For instance, I never flossed. I was a terrible at flossing. Maybe you are still terrible at flossing. I'm less terrible now. But, but listen, I, I got the sermon on flossing for years. I got it from the most authoritative source, the dentist. 
He gave me all the inspiration and information I needed to floss. I never did it. And the basic reason is that I had no implementation step for flossing. There was nothing in my life that said, here is the time that I'm supposed to floss. And, and so it's it's just, it, it struck me as, it's so obvious once I realized it. It's like, just just floss your teeth when you brush your teeth. Because that habit is there. And once I did that, guess what? It was a little weird the first times. But after that, maybe five or six times later, it became automatic because my floss was right next to my toothbrush it's 30 extra seconds, it became automatic. Use, leverage the habit formation that you already have, the things that you already have momentum, and just add something on top of that. So in this last year, here's one way I found that really effective. You know, as a parent, one of my desires, one of my deepest desires for my kids is for them to learn how to be in the Bible themselves, to be reading the Bible for themselves, to to be growing and the challenge is always, okay, how do I carve out time? How do I carve out time to help them start reading the Bible? And again, I just I can't believe I'd never thought to try this, but I thought, okay, well, I read the Bible in the morning. Addie wakes up. Just have her read the Bible when I read the Bible. And, and just making that shift to say, okay, you know, usually about, uh, you know, 45 minutes into after I'm up, Addie's up. I have a habit, a routine of getting up with Jesus, being with him in the morning, just helping Addie establish that routine at the same time has made it so much easier to just establish that routine with her. She's got her own Bible. I got her a little Bible journal, uh, David Murray. It's a Bible journal for kids. It's super effective. It's easy. It takes like five to 10 minutes a day. She gets up, her Bible's out, her journal's out. I've already put it there. And now it's becoming an automatic thing for us. When she's done, guess what? She wants to talk about it. It's easy. And, And now, just because I've stacked that habit onto a habit I already have, it sort of greases the wheels. It makes it so much easier to do that habit. So this might be blindingly obvious to you. This might be a total epiphany for you. But for me, it's helpful. Anytime I'm trying to establish a new habit, link it to something you are already doing, and it is so much easier to get that habit going. Number one, stack habits. Number two, if you want to make progress, aim low. If you want to make progress, aim low. I love to aim high. And they say, you know, if you aim high and you miss, you shoot for the star. You reach, you know, you shoot for the stars, you, you reach the moon. I, I, you know, when you shoot for the stars, you don't even get going. That's my, uh, <laughs> that's my experience in life. Uh, for instance, um, I'm an incredibly slow reader, very slow reader. But I want to read more. I want to read a lot more. And I've got more books I want to read than I could ever read. And, and a lot of the people I've looked up to have these insane reading regimens. They're reading like three to 500 books a year. And so I, I've made the wrong goal in, in becoming a reader is I've started with the number of books I want to read in a year. And, and for years now, I've tried to set my intellectual goals that way. I'm going to read these 50 books this year or these 60 books. Now, for some of you who have a built-in habit of reading, you can do that and knock it out. That's great. It does not work for me because I'm just glacial when it comes to reading. It just takes me a long time to read. And so I changed the goal. I changed the goal from the number of books I want to read a year to the amount of time a day I want to spend reading. And so it's no longer about getting this much reading done over the year. It's just saying, you know what? I'm going to read 15 minutes a day. And now I combine that with habit stacking. So I do that in the morning too. I've got my Bible reading regimen. That's done. Here's some intellectual growth I want to do. I do 15 minutes. 
And, and I found that over the past few months, I am reading more with just that goal in place than I have in years in terms of actually finishing books, getting things done, just saying, I'm going to read 10 minutes a day. I'm going to get, I'm going to read next two or three pages of this book because inevitably what happens once you get into that habit, you read a little bit more and the next day you read a little bit more. And so now I'm up to, to more time reading, but, but again, I'm making more progress because I'm aiming low. When you aim high, you make the activation barrier high. You make the motivation high. You make the inspiration high. Everything you need to do it, you, you feel like you have to muster up this incredible willpower, and the likelihood of actually doing it goes down. And so really aiming low is just being honest with yourself that, that if you're going to improve in any area, you have to establish the minimum baseline of what progress is. Um, in business, there's minimum viable product, right? It's the, the simplest iteration of a product that, that you can get out to the market to test. I think it's helpful to think also in terms of minimal viable progress. What, what is the basic step I could take to actually move in the direction I want to go? And if it's 10 minutes a day, that's great. You will not believe how much progress you make if you invest 10 minutes a day doing something. So any area of life, aim low. Real progress is slow progress. I think of the Proverbs, like Proverbs 13, 11, that says, wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. Uh, and an inheritance gained hastily in the beginning will not be blessed in the end. There's this idea that sustainable growth is slow growth. It is incremental. It's bit by bit. And, and so slow growth is great because it's actual traction. You're building the habit. You've got to establish something before you improve it. So any progress you want to make, aim low. Number three, if you want to eliminate distraction in your life, this is what's helped me. Treat technology like mental junk food. Treat technology like mental junk food. And specifically, I'm talking about news feeds, social media, YouTube, things where you get a hit of dopamine. You know what that thing is, too, that you run for distraction. Here's why that's helped me. Um, I, I love chips and salsa more than anything, food-wise. It's, it's right up there. I, I can't think of a single time in my life where I was eating chips and salsa and thought, I've had enough chips and salsa. I could just keep eating chips and salsa forever, much to my own detriment. It would not be good for me. But, but I just love it. I, I'm, I crave it so much. And, and you probably have a food like that in your life too. But I just imagine that if I had some kind of bowl of chips and a bowl of salsa that was just floating around next to me all the time, I think I would eat chips and salsa all the time. And, and when you see that, that that's how technology functions, you begin to get a sense of, of just how potent it is at hijacking your focus um, and what you want to do. So much technology is designed to be mental junk food. It's, it's designed to give you a quick hit of dopamine. Here's a little bit of tantalizing information or a person's reacting to something you've said or here's a video you've got to watch and, and you had no agenda to do that thing but here it is and now you've got to look at it now here's the thing i don't think all of that is bad i don't think none of that can be redeemed and if you're using social media in a redemptive way you don't have to email me i'm not i'm not against that completely um for me though 
I know that that so many of the things I want to do during the day and the mental focus it requires, that kind of technology hijacks me from getting done what I want to do. <laughs> or Max just said, maybe it's listening to a podcast that, that might hijack your, uh, your focus. No, podcasts are different. This is incredibly valuable, Max. But, but here's the point. For, for those kinds of technology that, that hijack you during the day, right, that keep you from the deep mental work, what I've come to realize is it, I just have to treat those things like mental junk food. And so it's not completely eliminating them necessarily in terms of I want to look through my news feed. I want to know what's going on in the world. Um, you know, I want to see what YouTube is suggesting to me so I can go laugh at it and be entertained by it. It's just putting a governor on that thing. And saying, this is the time of the day where I'm going to eat mental junk food. Maybe it's 15 minutes. Maybe it's 30 minutes. Maybe it's a midday break. But saying, this is the time I can commit to that, knowing what it is. That it's not necessarily going to get me where I want to go. But I can then enjoy it, have a place for it in my life, and keep it in its proper place. Uh, otherwise, it has the ability to metastasize and hijack so much of your time and so much of your attention. And so for me, it's just helpful to say, this isn't necessarily a horrible thing but it isn't the most fruitful way I could be spending my time. And so because of that, I have to put a governor on it, just like I would with junk food, just like I would with any other kind of leisure. There has to be some barrier. And what makes that, as I said, so complicated is that it's, it's almost infinitely accessible, particularly if you have a smartphone where you can just use this all the time to satisfy yourself. But to realize that satisfaction is, is cheap, and, and that, it's, that it's really a, a shallow satisfaction that keeps you from thinking deeply and doing the hard mental work you needed to get things done. That helps me. Proverbs 17, 24 says, the discerning sets his face toward wisdom, but the eyes of a fool are on the ends of the earth. The discerning sets his face toward wisdom. They have a plan. Here's how I want to live wisely today. The eyes of the fool are on the ends of the earth. They're wandering. They're distracted. They are titillated by anything that, that's coming by the side of the road. They can turn there, turn there. Um, I don't want to hijack myself and the things I know God has called me to do. And so I have to say, here's the time for junk food. Other times, here's the time for work. Okay, that's number three. Finally, number four. If you want to get things done, and this is for procrastinators, if you want to get things done, you have to create deadlines before the deadline. If you want to get things done, you have to create a deadline before the deadline. I, I am a procrastinator. Uh, as it has been said, if it wasn't for the last minute, I wouldn't get anything done. I, I crave the adrenaline, the terror of the deadline to, to push myself to focus and get things done. I heard one guy say that some people need a small thermonuclear device planted on them uh, to motivate them. And, and so particularly for huge projects, huge tasks, until that thing is looming, it can be so hard to feel the urgency to get that thing done, whether it's a project around the house, a work project, whatever, because it just seems so unwieldy and unmanageable. Now, I happen to have a work project every week that honestly feels unwieldy and unmanageable just about every week, and that's writing a sermon. <laughs> and, and writing a sermon is, okay, I'm going to take God's Word and present it as clearly as I can and compellingly as I can to the most amount of people I can in the most applicable and helpful way I can to glorify Jesus as much as I can. And so, okay, how do you know when you're done? How do you know when you've written a good sermon? It's really hard to know. 
it's really hard to know when you've you've done enough to say this is good. And 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 here's my problem is that I'm a perfectionist and the perfect is the enemy of the good. And for years, whatever I thought of or came up with was not good enough. And so I would keep tweaking, keep writing, keep working on it up till the very last minute. And my deadline for writing a sermon was giving a sermon. I knew I had to stop writing when I had to literally get up and get in front of many of you and talk. And that is not a healthy way to think about deadlines because it consumed me mentally. It took up um, time that I hadn't devoted to it. it. It became too unwieldy in my life. And maybe you have a project like that. And so the thing that has saved me over the last year in this, and it's been about a year that I'm doing this, is that I have created a deadline for when my sermon is quote unquote done before the deadline. And, and now to do this, you have to involve other people in your deadline. You have to make it painful. So this is what I've done, is that every Thursday at 4 p.m., I have to have a draft of the sermon in to the elders so that they can read it. And just knowing that whatever I've put out into the world, they're going to read, they're going to evaluate, and this has to be something like what I'm going to preach on Sunday, it, it creates the terror of the deadline, just enough terror early and, and it has revolutionized my weekends, um, my time with my family, my mental headspace. Hopefully, it's actually improved my sermon writing, too, because I get things done, and then I'm able to think more, evaluate more, and then make tweaks um, as I get up to it. But again, that the terror of the artificial deadline, right, is, is super helpful. And so if there, is, if, if there is something you need to get done in your life and you're lagging on it, make a contract with someone else. Someone who will hold you accountable and say, here's when the draft of it, here's when this thing will be done, and make a covenant with them. Here's when it will be done, here's where you can expect it, and here's the penalty if I don't get it to you. <laughs> For me, the elders even talked about the penalty being, if, if you don't meet this deadline, you can't preach. <laughs> and I was like, oh man, that, that, that was a motivator to me that, that I really need to take this more seriously in, in putting some boundaries around this. Um, so that it doesn't consume um, so much time. Uh, and, and I've just found the minute someone is expecting something from you at a certain time, and, and maybe there's a financial cost to it, here's what I'll pay you if I don't get it done, it could be that practical. But, but just moving up the deadline helps so much. Uh, because what it does is, is it, um, it, it frees you to not commit all of your extra time to it. It frees your mental space to not be committed to it, to say that, no, I'm only going to give it this much time. And there is some kind of psychological principle that says that the amount of time it takes to do something is the amount of time you think it will take, <laughs> the amount of time that you're willing to invest, that, that work expands to fill the time devoted to it. So I found if you devote less time to it, wow, you still get it done and, and, and your work doesn't drop off that much. Um, and oh my gosh, it just, it saves you so much stress. So those are the big things I've been learning over the last year. Hopefully some of that's helpful to you. Um, yeah, if there are things you found helpful that are related to these, please talk to me about them. Shoot me an email. I'd love to hear too what has been helpful to you. But again, four takeaways from this last year. If you want to build a new habit, stack it on top of an old habit. If you want to make progress, aim low. If you want to eliminate distraction, treat technology like mental junk food. And then if you want to get things done, create a deadline before the deadline. All right, that's it for today. Hope something was helpful. Hope you can implement something this week. Have a great week. We'll talk to you again soon.